0: Uh, hello and welcome back for episode number two of Alas, Branch and Ripley because it now has a show title. <laughs> yeah. Was it was it you that came up with it? Was it Craig? I can't remember. Uh, I think I said alias and he said alas. Yes,
1: he, he typed it wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, yes, the podcast that didn't have a name now has a name. So there you go, and we're back for more shenanigans. The only things I just said to you before we start recording, the only things that we kind of left off with on the last episode was Eurotrash and uh, my story about Dom Jolly. Okay. Not being very jolly. Yeah. Um, do you have a preference on where we start?
1: Um, wow. Well,
0: let's go straight for the jolly. Right. So this is probably about eight years ago now i think maybe something like that mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of mine it was a friend's sister had uh, got into a bit of a twitter spat with dom jolly i think she called him out for him not sending a tweet that wasn't particularly funny it was a little bit offensive so she called him out on it and he started to really lay into her so uh, my friend messaged me and said look at this idiot um He's, uh, he's having a pop of my, my sister on Twitter. Now, at the time, myself and especially Whitey were very, uh, very heavy on like users of Twitter.
2: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and these
0: kind of shenanigans. So um, we, uh, we kind of jumped to a poor woman's defense and uh, said, mm-hmm. I, like leave her alone kind of thing. And um, the more uh, anyone spoke up against him, the more angry he got. And he just kind of got, like, madder and madder and madder about the whole thing. Now, at first, like, I've had a few Twitter spats with celebrities. Some have gone quite well and others haven't gone very well. And this was one that <laughs> – uh, and it's not it, you know, it's not something I look out for. It, it, it's just who's ever sent the tweet at the end of the day. I don't, I don't prejudice against anybody. Um, but he really didn't like being called out on it. Um, so, at first, it was just kind of back and forth, and it wasn't too bad. Um and then he started to get like more and more offensive and would like make uh comments about appearances and stuff like that and this wasn't just to me this was to uh, my friend's uh, friend as well uh, my friend's sister as well and uh, it just kind of got more and more and then what he would then eventually do is he would then block you, which is fine but then what he would then do is give your um, user details he would like make a separate post. And say this username mm-hmm. um, has annoyed me today. Um, go and give him loads of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so then I'd get like all of his like fan club then sending me like abuse. And some of it was just like, you know, leave him alone, fair enough, that's all good. Some of it was like really personal, or you know, hope you get cancer, that kind of thing. It's like, Jesus mm. Christ. Like this is nuts. And like, it's almost like the kind of Trump mentality of I'll just get millions to do stuff for me. But where it really annoyed me was at one point, and this was Don Jolly, um, accused Y2 of being some kind of paedophile because his profile picture was him and his, like, three-year-old son. Awful. Just just mad. And so the thing is, when you have something like that, you like, it always kind of like resonates with you. So, um, like, now, like whenever I see Don Jolly on, on telly, I just think, well, he's not funny. Right, like immediately, anything he's in is not funny, and I'm. Yeah, he isn't funny. No, he's not even funny. Tr- Trigger Happy TV was funny for about a series and a half. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember he did the Jungle a few years ago. Was it the Jungle? One yeah, of those no, did, yeah. shows, yeah. yeah. And um, and that kind of gave him a bit of a career boost, and then ITV kind of let him do a knockoff of Trigger Happy TV, which was also shit. So I'm really glad his career's kind of just gone down the dregs because I thought he was just a nasty person. You know. He came off, actually,
1: he was in um, Celebrity um, w- Wanted. Um, I don't know I if you see. saw it. No, he, no, I didn't see it. No, it's where they like, have to disappear for a week or so.
0: Yes. Um, and he came off like really bad in that. Oh, good. I'm glad he did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, just, that just sums it up to me. So, and you know what? Um, the last time I had uh, a disagreement with somebody on Twitter was um, Brent Spiner. You're joking. What yeah, data? And, yeah, and it, it, he put out some some weird... I can't remember what it was now. And I just replied back, thinking like, oh, I never see it anyway, but he gets like a thousand tweets a day or whatever. And I just... Uh, put a comment back about um, how, you know, take dates away and the only credit on his IMDb is scientist in independence day.
3: <laughs> and at first like, he on, I was, say.
0: Of, he <laughs> was like, kind of like <laughs> taking a pee a bit. And then he came back with something. I, I think he like comes back and said, like, you know, that's a low blow. And then I said, uh, don't worry. I've listened to your um, old blue eyes is back album and then he was like, oh, if you've still got a copy of that, it's probably worth quite a bit of money. And I thought, oh, okay. Then he's taking it as a joke and then he blocked me. So I was like, okay, fine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my intention,
0: but yeah, yeah. It, it spiraled out of control quite quickly. But I don't make a habit of doing it. Not just because I don't like being that person anyway, but I don't care if you're famous, non-famous. If you said something that's annoyed me, I will mm. I speak up. But yeah, so there you go. So Dom Jolly uh, is definitely not a jolly person. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he doesn't... Yeah, yeah. So, that that was what I, I had with the last one. Um, yeah. The end of the episode and how I, I actually rounded it out was with the, the theme tunes of Eurotrash because, again, because we're the same kind of age, Eurotrash was... I wouldn't say um, a big deal. I, I don't think anyone no. would say Eurotrash was a big deal for them, but... No. I think it certainly probably opened up a generation's eyes to uh, how free the world was generally, especially when it comes to like sex and stuff.
1: Well, yeah, because we were always pretty much stiff upper lip in this country, wasn't we, prior to probably the internet. But um, I think if you're a, a, a man of a certain age, I think this might just include us as well, the first pair of bosoms you probably saw were either on that program or were Barbara Winters.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you caught Carry On, you know the right Carry On, then then you'd get a bit of an eyeful, but mm. still not what you'd kind of get on on Eurotrash because uh, it was was it Lola Ferrari? Oh God! Yeah, like the biggest yeah. boobs in the world at the time, or something like that. She's dead now, is she? She died. She died not long after that, actually. I think she had another procedure. Like, I think like she, she had that kind of thing. Like It's a bit tragic, really, where it's never big enough. Yeah. You yeah. keep having more and more work done. Um, and I think, I'm sure it was like complications due to that. Or it, it would certainly have had some kind of connection to that, probably because she was like 50% plastic or something. Mm. Um, because, yeah, you can go too far with those procedures, can't you? Um, but that was the first time I'd ever heard of Jean-Paul Gaultier.
1: Yeah, yeah, because obviously he's a famous designer, but we just thought he was a TV presenter on that TV show.
0: Yeah, to be honest, even like when I read like he designed this for Madonna and that Madonna, I didn't actually really. I, I still saw him as that you know quirky guy that is like the host of New York Trash. Mm. Anton the Clu- uh, was it Anton de Cluz? I can't, I can't remember how you pronounce his name, but Anton, not de Beck. Um oh, that's the other one.
1: <laughs> oh God.
3: and actually
1: Anton de Beck, that's not even his real name, is it? No, it's Tony Becky, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. Just like yourself a bit like uh, a bit more extravagant. Cause to be fair, Anton de Beck does sound a little bit exotic. Anton de Kuhn. Anton de Kuhn. Oh, that's right. Because I'm sure he did something before Eurotrash. Did he not do, like, the BBC2, a BBC2 thing or something? Possibly. I think he's a film director. No. By trade, I think. Jeez. You 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 kind of get that a lot, though. We watched... uh, Have you seen Chernobyl? No. I mean, we watched it because, like, everyone was saying it's, like, the, the, the best... I think on IMDb now it's it's rated as like the best TV show of all time. Really? That was like a mini series. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, and it's it's good. I mean, it's really well done. Don't get me wrong, but I I think that's a little bit much to say about it. Um, but the whole series was directed by um, a, a Danish man. I'll try and find his name up in a second. And I was like, oh, I wonder what else he's done because, you know, he's getting a lot of plaudits for this and everything like that. And, uh, he, you know, he's directed quite a lot of music videos over mm-hmm. like the last decade, done a lot of stuff with Burry, did Burry's last two videos, including like his, his final one where he was basically telling the world he was dying before he actually did. Um, but when I was reading for a little bit more, he was a he, a one-hit wonder from the 90s. Oh, with uh, as like a, a rapper, and I knew the song. It was really big in Europe, and it was one of those film, one of those songs that you would hear in films quite often hmm. in the nineties because it, it just had that kind of sound to it. So I was like, "That's that's weird." How you kind of you're known for one thing, but you go off and have like a much more extravagant, extravagant career afterwards, really. Yeah, but it's like I got friends from Germany and
1: you know, David Hasselhoff, we all know for Night Rider and Baywatch, over there, he's known as a pop star.
0: Oh, massively. Yeah. I saw actually he's got a new a new single out, or he's or he's had a collaboration with somebody, so he's over in Germany again at the moment, plugging that. So it's like he's never disappeared. It's really, really weird.
1: And Sam Fox, she's the same.
0: Yeah, she's still quite big in certain parts of Europe, isn't she? Mm. That's right. Do you know what? I just realised or just looked up on Eurotrash. It started in 1993. Mm -hmm. I assumed it was earlier than that. Um, Yeah. But obviously, you know, it wasn't.
1: It was surprising the amount of
0: sort of very low budget crap they used to put out back then, wasn't it? Oh yeah, well because that that time slot, like late night Friday. I mean, there were, the the first one was the word, wasn't it? Oh yeah. And that was. I never really watched that. I was a bit too young for that. It was a bit too loud for me. Although if you if you go back and look at you know bands they had featured in it and, and stunts they held on it, it was quite a quite a lot of fun. I think it was like one of Nirvana's first TV appearances in the UK. Mm. It was on the word. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a very odd slot, that kind of late night Friday. They just whack anything in. And I remember late 99, maybe,
2: '99.
0: Mm-hmm. um, was when I discovered, um, Adam and Joe. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Because they're obviously big Hollywood directors now, aren't they? Well, one of
0: them is. Well, one of them is, yeah. Yeah. The other one does podcasts. Um, <laughs> yeah. But good ones, and, and, and only wankers do podcasts. Let's be honest. Absolutely, um. yeah. and, and I mean, if you do multiples, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, what you know, how much of a wanker could you get to be? That's the question. Um, but I mean, that show was great, and that was the ultimate kind of cheap TV. They filmed mm. it in a flat. Um, they went and made, you know, spoofs of films and TV programs with Star Wars figures. That they mm. had li- lying around. Long um, before
1: Robot Chicken.
0: That's right, exactly. And um, and I used to just like go and film random skits out and about. Like my favorite, Even now, and it's got to be 20 years old or so, um, one of the things that still cracks me up is they filmed, I think it might have been Louis Theroux filmed it, because they were all school friends.
1: Mm, because them two, Louis Theroux and Nick Clegg, Ex deputy prime minister, yeah, all in the same class together at Cambridge.
0: That is that is ridiculous. And
1: apparently, the four of them did a cross country America trip once. Jeez, I spent two months driving down Route sixty six in a um, open top car.
0: That is a weird combination, isn't it? Yeah, is only
1: they'd film that. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs>
0: dining out on it for years, but they did this. Um, that is this skit where they went into a local shop and they were drinking all of the uh, the things that were free. So mm. they'd pick up a bottle of Coke and it would say like 20% extra free. So they would open it and drink 20% of the bottle. <laughs> and then when they were like kind of approached by the shopkeeper, like, no, no, look, you know, that's the free bit. And it's such a stupid thing. But even now, if I see something in a shop that says like, you know, an extra 30% free, I just think of that skit. I don't, I don't act on it. I'm no, no. act. But just, yeah, just, just really, really, really laugh. But it, absolute, just cheap TV. Anything they could find or anyone they could find, um, they'd whack in that slot mm. because they just didn't care. It was quite what dangerous, was the, really.
1: Like early feminist program where you had like Sarah Cox, I oh, think Denise Van Elton as well, maybe.
0: That was called The Girly Show. The girly show, oh my and God. And funnily enough, one of them, I can't remember who the original three were, but Sarah Cox was definitely one, and Sarah Kaywood was another one. Oh, yeah, Sarah Kaywood. Left Nickelodeon, I think. And she is now married to um, a TV producer that I used to work with back in my very short-lived TV career. And mm. they lived down the road in, in Leon C. Wow. Uh, but I haven't bumped into it there. But, uh, yeah. But they, they had a segment called Wanker of the Week. They did, didn't they? Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, you come so far, you're not a movie star, but you're the wanker of the week. Um, and that was always so funny, wasn't it?
3: Because
1: mm. we... Um, I work in construction, architecture, et cetera, and some of my projects are on the railway. Okay. And every i don't know is it every friday afternoon i can't remember now but every friday afternoon everybody that works in railway we everybody gets the same email and it's every week they find an accident that's happened on the railway and um they will send that as a lesson learned if you like to everybody across the whole network to say look this person did this this is what was wrong with it this is what it caused and this is how you should not do it you know um and I forget the professional name of it, but it's become known as the wanker of the week email. <laughs> and my cousin, he also works on the railway. And he he's a electrical engineer. And his wife bought him a chunky, you know, there was a fashion a couple of years ago for those big chunky watches, like novelty watches. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like it at all, but he was wearing it just to keep her happy. And he went out to a call um, into one of these electrical substations and he had to reach past some live cables to get to an isolation uh, isolation switch. And as he reached through, the big chunky plastic watch touched the live (gasps) wire and it blew him across the room, smashed the watch to pieces, which was the best part of the story apparently, (laughs) and burnt his arm. Anyway, a few weeks later, I ring him up. I said, "Oh, are you in front of your computer?" No. I said, "Oh, I think you better get in front of your computer." I said,
0: "You're the wanker of the week." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I kind of, I kind of get in some perverse way why they would do it, but at the same time, it's just just a bit odd. Well, basically, you're basically highlighting someone who's made a mistake.
1: Yeah. They are <laughs> and, all a bit odd. Look, it this way, or? Nick. The railway employs our pal
0: Craig. <laughs> well, yeah, Nate said that. I mean, the standards are are particularly <laughs> low. And to be fair, I mean I've I, I got offered a job on the Rails about 18 months ago. I'm still waiting for a start date. So they will just let any tosser do it, I suppose. <laughs> If that's the lesson we're going to take away from this, it's that, yeah, they really don't have much of a field in who they actually employ. I, I tell you
1: what, though, if ever young people say to me, because sometimes I have to go to these career fairs and things, if they always say me, where should I get a job when I'm older? I always say to them, railway. Mm. Go and work on the damn railway. Do anything. doesn't matter. You'll get paid well. you have loads of holidays. You've got lots of career progression. You're never going to get made redundant. Go and
0: work on the railway. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's, what, it's why I applied for it, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, I, I've got to that age in, in life where you kind of want something... To, I mean, what I'm doing now is quite stable, um, but it, it's limited by pay. And so you're always kind of looking for something that gives you... You want the security, but you also want progression and you want f- to be financially rewarded. And that does seem like a place to go. Yeah, And if it wasn't for the Queen Lizzie line getting all up, then I probably would be there already. Um, I think that's the, the lot of money for what it is.
1: The thing is, is um, I, I I do ghostwrite a few books, and they're usually about history. Um, and I've I done one a while ago about um, historical engineering projects. All very boring, I assure you. But <laughs> you can go back decades and centuries every time the government in this country has ever built anything massive. It's always overrun and gone over budget and never been done on time. It well, doesn't I'm, matter if it was defences against Napoleon or Henry VIII for getting the country ready of case of invasion from Rome. It's never, ever been done on time or to budget. No.
0: Uh well, I mean, even, in, even in our lifetime, we, you know, Wembley stadium was a famous example of that.
1: Oh God.
2: Yeah. Isn't it?
0: Well, that seems to take years. Mm. And that went massively over budget and they had to change building um, construction firms on it because of issues and Spurs had it recently. I mean, I don't care about that, obviously, but um, (laughs) that's just two examples in recent history where that's happened. Mm. In fact, I'm surprised they got the Olympics done in time. I think that's why I was so kind of, the Olympics was a weird one, right? Because leading up to it, from the announcement to the day it started, I really wasn't bothered which is awful because you should be, you should be bothering when a massive sporting event like that is happening. But yeah. I just thought we're going to balls it up. We're not going to have it finished in time, all this stuff. And you kept hearing stories about them being delayed and all this. And, like, Ugh. and um, I remember I'd gone out the night of the the opening ceremony and I came back and uh, this is pre kids, obviously. And the wife was downstairs watching it with um, our neighbors Mm. because they had a 3D TV and they were showing it in 3D on one of the red button channels or something. Mm. Mm. So I watched a bit of that and I thought, you know what, they've done a good job with the opening ceremony. I I was quite surprised. And then the next day, I think I turned the telly on and I might have been like sailing or something, I can't remember. And it said, I'll press the red button for more sports. And And I pressed the red button and they literally had every sport that was on that day on its own channel. I was like, "Oh, there's quite a lot of stuff here," and I, by the, by that afternoon, I was all in on the Olympics. I'd mm. got so engrossed in it, I was like, "Why was I naysaying it?" And then I was desperate to get tickets, and I did. I did eventually get some tickets to go. Um, but I mean, they did a really good job in the end. But I think because we're so used to ballsing stuff up, I just mm. thought, "Ah, oh, yeah, we're just going to balls this up as well and be a Yeah, I,
1: I, I felt exactly the same, actually.
0: I think a lot of people. I mean, I know I know a few people that were really just because it was the Olympics. And they always loved the Olympics, but mm. yeah, there was a lot of people that I, I was speaking to that also felt the same about it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be very successful. But
1: I, I thought the um, closing ceremony was better than the opening ceremony.
0: I I like the closing ceremony as well, actually.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. The, my favourite part of that, my absolute favourite. I've always preferred the Kinks. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that the Beatles had a much bigger cultural impact on music, arguably, but I've always admired the Kinks more. So the fact that they got him out to do something and not just relied on Paul McCartney, who sounded awful, <laughs> I was really <laughs> pleased about. So I think got the Spice Girls out. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was that cool was that. Yeah, I think that was the last time they had, they, they've all done something together, actually, thinking about it. Mm. So that tool they just did was only the four of them, 'em, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Posh didn't
1: partake, did she?
0: No, no. Hang on a second I Feel some time, I just got to go open the door. My dog's scratching at the door.
1: Okay,
0: back <laughs> uh, filler,
1: filler, um, um filler. I have no idea what they're saying. Um, oh no, he's back. you back. Right, right.
0: That was a good thing you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't hear any of it. Um, so I just, actually, before we just move on, I did because I did think there was something else before Euro Trash, it was called Rapido. Never heard of it. So it was a BBC Two thing, and it says it was normally shown about half past seven, so mm. that's why I would have known about it because it was early. And it was just Anton the Cloons, uh, the coons, and it was him kind of doing the Eurotrash stuff, but without the sex. So it was oh. just going around Europe and kind of focusing on bands and focusing on like cultural events that were going around. Um, and, but the weird thing is, is that, and I didn't realise this until I look it up, both of those shows were shown around the world. Oh. So Eurotrash wasn't just on Channel 4, it was shown all over Europe. Oh, right. As well at the same time. So, yeah. Because the the TV production company was Rapido Television that made Euro Trash. Oh, I wonder where I'd seen the word before. Yeah. So there you go. Yes. Um, Right, so kind of going back to some of the stuff we were talking about in the last episode, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you if you had a particular favourite theme tune from a cartoon when you was a kid. Um. Well, the first one that comes to mind, well,
1: I was a huge Spider-Man fan. Yeah. Um, And we used to, before Blockbusters came to our town, we used to go to this little independent VHS rental place. I'm sure I've told this story before. And there were two or three um, VHS copies of the episodes from the 1960s animated Spider-Man. Yep. And I used to go in nearly every week, rent the damn video. (laughs) And then when blockbusters came to town and destroyed his business, um, you know, it's quite funny that Netflix should have then destroyed blockbuster eventually. Yeah. um, when he closed up the last week of operation when we went in there he actually gave me the video and said here <laughs> you've, you've more than enough paid for this please please take it wow so that that was my favorite um song theme tune if you like
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i miss i missed the old those old video shops
1: they had a certain smell about them didn't they
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: sort of a vinyl plasticky smell mixed with like stale tobacco and sort of like really sweet popcorn or sugary stuff
0: yeah yeah he was always smoking well there was always someone smoking in there Mm. we used to go in there but it's it's weird because i mean i stopped going to my local video shop because it was we'd moved a little bit away so i stopped going when i was probably about six or seven um but I just remember like there being like, almost it looked like floor to ceiling with titles. Mm. And it probably wasn't like that at all. But I suppose because when you're small, everything looks bigger, doesn't it? That's um, a good point. <laughs> there's so much choice as well. And so many things. And you always had to go on what the cover was mm. as well. You had no idea. There was no IMDB. There was no looking it up on, online about what people thought. It was either something you'd heard about or just something you thought oh that picture looks quite good well, uh,
1: and that's how i discovered uh, monty python because the vhs copies of monty python were covered in terry gilliam's work yes so as a kid i thought it was a cartoon that i was picking up
3: <laughs>
1: um, same can be said with the pink panther series with peter sellers well now you you look at those vhs's from the 80s and 90s you'd think that was a cartoon
0: my biggest disappointment was seeing a pink Panther th- film come on the TV and watched a good chunk of it. And then turn around to my parents and go, when's the pink Panther turn up? Mm. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It's it's
1: like I probably said exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, I remember the, the pink Panther had a cartoon. I can't mm. remember what a cartoon was called, but I remember he, it was like live action and I got out of a car Pink, 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 no,
1: pink, pink,
0: the pink, pink, pampa. And they'd run into like a movie theater or something.
1: That's
0: it. And they were all, but you know, it was real life footage, but they were all animated coming out of this car, and all the characters. so Clouseau's theme was like. I have
1: that song in my car, by
0: the way. Amazing. But that was the thing, like those Pink Panther films were probably really good. Everyone, everyone tells me they're good. But I was so like annoyed about them as a kid that I've never watched them as an adult. <laughs> well, you should do because um what was
1: that? What's the famous um he's English, but he's born to Chinese parents. Oh, uh, he was Burk Burkwork. who's he's passed away now, isn't he? I think.
0: Yes, a couple of years back or oh, so. Yeah. No, he
1: played Cato in those films. Mm. Which if you haven't seen it. Basically, he's like his manservant or something, and he sort of, whenever he comes home, he hides, and then he jumps on him, and they do, like, kung fu. It's quite bizarre. Anyway, um, where I live, um, next door, there's this um, Lithuanian lady. She's very nice, but she has this habit of creeping up on you. (laughs) It's not done like, I don't know if it's done maliciously or not, but she sort of creeps up on you and goes, hello, like this, you know. (laughs) So we all call her Kato. (laughs) You know, so my mother-in-law will visit and she go, oh, I got Katoed on the drive earlier. <laughs> you know, she'll be, doing, she'll be getting her shopping out the car and all of a sudden, hello!
0: Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Because, I mean, the thing is, going back to another story we talked about in the last episode, Burt Quark, the first time I really knew who Burt Quark was, and this is terrible when you actually think about his body of work, but mm. he was the hen man on Harry Hill's TV show.
1: Oh
2: God. And he so sang
0: Hey Little Hen, When 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 Will You Lay Me an Egg for my tea. Jesus. And that's that's all I knew him from. Like every episode he'd come out and do a little skit of Harry Hill and it ended with the chicken song. Um and then you find out he's like this really, you know, established actor with like a long body of work. And that's what you remember him from.
1: Yeah. Yeah, lots of films. There are loads of films.
0: Yeah. That's it. I know mean, if you look at his you know, look at his IMDb or something, it's 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 incredible. Um, The reason I kind of asked about the... It's funny you said about Spider-Man being your favourite from the 60s because the other day, my daughter was telling me that she liked the Spider-Man song. And Mm. I was trying to play her the... I think I was talking about how good the the 90s animated version of Spider-Man was Mm. in terms of like being close to comic books and stuff. Mm. And I said, I I always liked this one. And so I played her the opening to that series of Spider-Man. She's like, no, Daddy, that's not the song I like. And I was like, well, which one is it? Because I, I didn't know she knew the, she'd ever seen the sixties cartoons. And eventually, I found it. She's like, yes, that's the one. And I think <laughs> that's the thing. Like that song, even now, is synonymous with Spider Man. It, uh,
1: yeah. It, I thought you were going to say the one from the multiverse. That one.
0: No, although um, they do, I think. I think. What's end, up, danger? Yeah. I, I I really like the soundtrack to that anyway. Oh yes, yeah, phenomenal that, film. That whole um, thing.
1: yeah. But but just just going back to what you said about your daughter there, I don't know what it is, but even like the original Scooby Doo, for example, mm. um, the Flintstones, Top Cat, you know, a lot of the Hanna Barbera stuff as mm. well. I don't know what it was about the sixties. Why did they get cartoons just absolutely spot on with their like their comedy? The, the aesthetics of them, but also their music and sound effects.
0: Do you know what I think it is? I think it is it's because in the sixties, especially with things like the Flintstones, they were trying to they were trying to um, imitate live action sitcoms of that time. Mm. So I, I've never watched it, but um, people have said that the Flintstones was like supposed to be like a spoof of like the Honeymooners.
1: Oh yeah. Yep.
0: Or, or it was another show like that at the time. But also as well, these shows were shown in primetime. Mm. So the Flintstones wasn't designed to bet, you know, we saw it on like Saturday morning TV or, you know, weekday kids. Cartoon Network. Yeah. <laughs> but we saw it as, you know, aimed at kids, whatever it was at the time. So it was aimed at kids. But when those cartoons first came out, they were aimed at adults. Mm. And I think because they were aiming at an older audience, that's why you felt more effort was being put into them. Because mm. it's it's quite weird in the in the eighties, and it was around uh, He-Man. He-Man. There was there was some law in America which um, which changed around He-Man, where essentially they would allow toy companies to make cartoons. Or have investment in cartoons mm. where well, I think before they couldn't. So that's why, you know, things like, you know, He-Man was a cartoon that was there to sell a toy line. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I loved He-Man. You know? um, and the same with Thundercats and G.I. Joe and, and everything like that. And, and that's why you, you had this big synergy between toys and, and cartoons for quite a long time. You know, the eighties was the time when cartoons really started to get really aimed at kids again. And it wasn't really until The Simpsons, you know, which I think had been the first primetime animated series since the Flintstones, so like I don't know 20, 25 years at that point, um, to be shown, because cartoons then become just a thing for kids to watch, and that was it. They were seen yeah. as, it was seen as a very childish medium again. But the, the other week I showed, um, in anticipation for September. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh get my daughter to watch Ghostbusters. She's not going, but I knew her friend at school, but you know it got her, her friend to ask her parents watching, and I subsequently did and um after we watched it and my daughter quite liked it i said oh when uh, when daddy was growing up, I used to watch the cartoon because certainly for me, I was more in love with the the real ghostbusters. Than I was even the original film. Mm, Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I I think it's just our age at the time, Um, and the fact that it was on like the cartoon was on on so often. Um, But I said, oh, there was a cartoon. I'll I'll see if I can find you the um, the opening to it. And uh, I found like the the opening intro to the Real Ghostbusters, and the animation still looks really good actually for a cartoon Mm. made then. Um, They actually spent a bit of money on it. But really, it was just another way of sending more toys. Because mm. they had all these like new vehicles, didn't they? And all these different villains they were facing. So it was just more toys that they could push. Um, but I think that's possibly why we grew up in such a golden age of toys.
1: Oh, yeah. You don't see hardly any, any of it anymore, do you?
0: No, no. Compared
1: to what we had. No,
0: no, not at all. You, you see it for. The, I went into uh, Hamleys today because um, uh, Hamleys has started opening up departments um, like shops in shopping centres now. They used to do that years ago. Then they stopped. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They ha- this is they've just started doing it again the last two or three years, uh-huh. and it's weird because we've got one not that far away from an entertainer, so they're still selling everything at Hamley prices. Mm. And they're selling pretty much a lot of the same stock as you'd get in the Entertainer, but for double the, double the price. It's Gosh. odd. Um, but like I went in there and they had Toy Story 4 toys, loads of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they had some action figures from Shazam. What? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I think that was it. I might have had some wrestling figures. And they had a few Avenger figures, and that was it. And that's the thing: like, there's, there's not, there's not that much anymore. You don't get toy lines for everything. I mean, fuck. Do you, I don't know if you remember this, but ninety um, five, I remember seeing toy lines for like the Shadow and Congo.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. Why? Why? Shadow.
0: Neither one of those, neither one of those films was really aimed at kids, anyway. You know, we'd seen Aliens and Predator toy lines as well. Oh, Terminator yeah. 2, Robocop. <laughs> they, these were not stuff aimed And yet the toys were aimed at kids. Because <laughs> most of those films you just rattled, rattled off, like they were at least sort of 15s or 18s, weren't they? Easy. Easy. I mean, I, I get with um, with the Robocop ones, because I had a lot of those, they were based on a, a cartoon that they'd, they'd spun off from it. But Oh, the, had they? Yeah. <laughs> There's a cartoon called uh, RoboCop and the Ultra Police. I want to say, and it was um, it was done in association with Marvel, and I don't think it ever got shown in the UK yet. Like you could buy the toys everywhere. I saw toys everywhere, and I had uh, I had a RoboCop, uh, Nancy Allen. I can't remember what a character's called in that film. Whatever a character's called, she had a she had a figure. Um, then some random villains, and they even had an ED two hundred and nine. There, there was um, a clip of
1: RoboCop on telly the other day. I can't remember why I'd seen it, but it, I, I was reminded of how sort of bloody that film was. Mm. You know, when people were getting shot up. Yeah. You know.
0: I remember getting, um, they they did this thing. It was only, I only ever saw it in 7-Eleven, another shop that I missed from the UK, but they would sell boxes of Topps trading cards, Mm. but they would, but the box would have every card in it. So rather than buying individual packets, you'd pay like 10 quid and you would just get a box and it had every card of that series in it. Mm. And I got, Turtles, the first Turtles movie ones, and I got ones for RoboCop. I think it was RoboCop two. It was like a combined set, and it was one of the top cards in that set, which they sold little, just like six seven year old me. Mm. Was the bit in the first RoboCop film when they're like blowing Murphy apart, like limb <laughs> by limb? <laughs> yeah. So he's just like just like kind of slumped there, and he's got like one arm missing, both legs missing. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, when I look back at it now, I was like, they really didn't care about what they were putting on trading cards for kids back then.
1: Well, this is it. I don't know if you remember, long before the films, um, it was always like a, a fan wish that Aliens versus Predator would be a thing. Yes. Um, and they did a, a trading card game based on, it was basically Aliens versus Predator versus Marines.
0: Okay. Did you ever play it? No, no I've, no, I've never got into trading card games.
1: Okay, it was, I, I, I didn't really, to, to a degree, um, but it was a really, really good um, game. So basically, it'd be teams of a minimum of three, and then one would be the Marines, one would be the aliens, one would be the Predators, and then you would sort of swap guns and characters and things. And Anyway, the reason I mentioned this is one of the cards had John Hurt playing his character from Alien on it, Mm. Um, with with the chess buster scene, with all the blood and the gore and everything. yeah. You know, we're like <laughs> kids, uh, like eight, nine-year-olds, who've never seen any of the alien films, <laughs> essentially.
2: Oh, man.
1: <laughs> you know, and don't even really know what that means. And, uh, yeah, but uh, I totally agree with you.
0: I th- I, did I talk about Alien War on no. the last episode? <sighs> Not that I remember. So, sorry if we're repeating on ground, but I remember watching Alien 3 and on the tape there was a, a clip of this new attraction in the Trocadero called Alien War that was coming. And what they did, it was these two guys, I think they were Scottish, mm. and they'd done this thing up in Scotland and I don't think it was a thing to the film Aliens because they worried about trademarking and copyright and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they'd... But it was it was basically like um, a scare um, a, a Halloween Horror Nights house before,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which around the same time they had just started doing them, um, and you you kind of went into this experience. You was led around by somebody, and then there'd be an alien attack, and you'd be chased. You'd have to escape.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You'd be run through his maze, and eventually they managed to to do a deal with with Fox. To get the license and they built this thing in the trocadero in the bottom of the trocadero. Have you ever been to trocadero? No, I don't know what it is. The trocadero was a place in Piccadilly Circus and it's been many things over the years, apparently. But right the, in the 80s and 90s, they were trying to make it like a tourist attraction. It was this massive building, it's still, it's still there, um, on between uh Piccadilly circus station and uh lesser square is where it is and they had um when i first redid it they had a guinness world records exhibition They had something called rock circus which was madame to swords but it was all music
3: mm-hmm.
0: all music artists and um there's a cinema there, and a massive arcade as well but i opened this thing called alien war and what they did is they, they used the sets from Aliens because Aliens was filmed in the UK.
3: Mm-hmm. I
0: think it was Shepparton or something. So they still had mm-hmm. the sets. So they, they put all that in as well. And they made this 20-minute traction where you kind of went on the, uh, the, the tank thing that they had, um, went into the ship, and then the aliens would be attacking you and they would be the aliens from Alien. Wow. And some would be uh, puppets, some would be costumes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And they would just burst out of walls and from the floor and from the ceiling. And some would actually run after you. And the idea was that you just ran as fast as you could to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And if you got caught, uh, you'd get taken to this room, which just had eggs, like those alien eggs that were oozing.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And you would have to wait for, for like another party to come and find you. Gosh. Yeah. And it was supposed to be really intense. It it was open for about three years and then there was a mystery flood and it was closed for renovation and it never reopened. Oh. So I think it was in Blackpool. But it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like a similar kind of haunt. Mm-hmm. You get chased out. And they had one of those in Trocadero a few years ago. But Again, that didn't last very long either. But... Trocadero is a weird place they had something called Sega World which was supposed to be like the biggest arcade in the world and it was based on like these Japanese mega arcades they had and Mm -hmm. again a few years and then done that rings a bell nothing in that place ever made enough money they spent loads of money on it but it never got the source in it and you thought it would have done because of where it was but yeah yeah, it just seemed to be a bit of a doomed venture. They've got the Crystal Maze experience there now. Are they? Okay.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't know
0: that. Yeah. Because I know they've been doing that for a while, but yeah, apparently they just moved into the Trocadero, so well, it was nice while it lasted. Um I what, going back to what I was saying, my favourite 80s mm-hmm. theme thing to a cartoon is probably mm-hmm. one called Ulysses 31. God, oh, no idea. It was awful. And I can never tell you what happened in a, in a single episode of it, but it was it was basically the story of Ulysses, like the, the Greek uh, mythology, but in space. But it had such a good theme tune. But as soon as the theme tune finished, I would turn it over.
1: I've, I've been doing that a bit with my son, trying to get him to sleep, watching old 80s cartoons. Yeah. Like, for example... Um dolls, ragged alls, dolls like you and me. If you hear me, the ragged dolls and say I just don't care, so ragged dolls. Ragged dolls. There's your ear short earworm. Or Button Moon, that's another one
0: we Oh I remember seeing Button Moon live on stage. What? Yeah. Where? Local to me, it was one of those things that um you know, like one of those touring and things that they they would do, like they still do now. You still get kids stuff touring all the time. Mm. Um, my daughter, do- my daughter's been taken to a few of those type of things, but all I remember was everyone was everyone on stage was wearing black, so you couldn't really see anybody on stage properly. But they would be like controlling the ships and moving the puppets around. And I mean, just as it sounds, but I on stage. <laughs>
1: I mean you could probably just go down to your local recycling center just get a load of rubbish and then just do that for yourself i would imagine
0: absolutely <laughs> but it was the 80s it was impressive
1: um <laughs> <laughs> didn't someone oh, say man. to me recently was it you maybe because um, you know all these random facts that, that that doctor who peter davidson sung the theme tune
0: what's about moon yeah. I didn't know that. I knew I knew who sung the theme tune to Raggy Dolls. Oh, who was that then? Like I think it was New Innes, who okay. uh it was um uh, was his was he Bonzo no. yeah Bonzo Dog Doodah band, I think. He was also Oh he was in that, was he? Yeah, and he was also in the Ruttles. Oh god, right. Idol. <laughs> so he's got he's got kind of like comedy pedigree. Um, yeah. but no, I didn't realise that.
1: Peter Davison. Apparently, either he sang it or he wrote
0: it or something. That's interesting. We're after Button Moon. We followed Mister
1: Spoon Button Moon.
0: Button Moon. Also, tell you another one, mm. Postman Pat. That is a very long intro. Oh my God, It's lasts almost longer <laughs> than the shy <show> itself.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> and like by the time they get to this towards the end of the song, they sort of write, they're uh, they're um, running out of words that rhyme.
0: Oh gotcha. yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they definitely were having writers regret when they realised how long the intro had to be.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, what, I tell you, what's weird is if you see Postman Pat, they they do now because it's done in the same style. Mm. They've not tried to make it too modern in terms of how it looks. But mm. I mean, the song, the new song is awful, and like he has helicopters and stuff now that he can use.
1: But as the Royal same, Mail does, you know.
0: Yeah, but he says the same excuses as to why parcels are late. Like, in any other village, it isn't sacked. Because <laughs> he's <it's> just tardy. <laughs> right? I mean, there's no excuse for the post being that late.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, is, I was rescuing sheep.
1: This
0: but there's a letter, path. for
1: <laughs> This is why the intro music was so long. It was because the stories were so bloody stupid. <laughs> They couldn't think of decent stories because they they had such a small window to tell the story because the intro had taken so bloody long.
0: I'll tell you what, I would like to see a, a gritty reboot of uh, Fireman Sam when uh, that kid Norman is just a well-known arsonist. I mean, he was pretty <laughs> much an arsonist in that every anyway because he'd always mm. set fire to something and mm. they would have to put it out. But actually, speaking about Dark and Gritty, have you seen the Banana Splits trailer?
1: No, I haven't. I've heard the... The story about
0: it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's basically like Five Nights at Freddy's meets Banana Splits, which they were
1: developing Five Nights
0: at Freddy's. So I'm not sure why. I think they, I think they, they still will, and I think that will still come out because I think that franchise is still quite popular at the moment. Mm. I think it will happen, but this is just a low budget way of cashing in because it's going it's going out on sci-fi, mm. so you know it's not you know, they're just throwing us together.
1: Talking but. of long um, intro music. Mm. Um, my wife is a um, classically trained pianist. And although well, she doesn't really do anything now, but um, she quite likes to listen to classic FM. Okay. And uh, I mean, I'm more of a podcast or rock and roll sort of chat myself. But anyway, she, she puts that on. We well, was in the car and it, it was in her car and she had it on. And, You remember the newsreader, Moira Stewart? Hmm. Hello, I'm Moira Stewart. I have the world's most boringest voice ever. Um, (laughs) That's
0: a very good impression. She
1: She now presents uh, Saturday morning or Sunday morning on Classical FM. Right. And we were driving and we had left my mother-in-law's and we were coming home. And it takes about 15 to 20 minutes. And when we left, um, the radio was on. Morris Stewart, come on. Oh, I'm Morris Stewart. Today, I'm going to play you Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. And that came on, which is basically, if you hear it, you think it's the theme tune to New York. Yep. Um, and that, is, that has like a three-minute version, which is dandy. That's, that's enough. Or there's like the full 18-minute version. What did Moira Stewart play? She played the full (laughs) 18-minute version, which by the end of that, you start to think you're in the Bonzo dog band, I'll be honest with you. It's just like rattling stuff and shaking. You know what I mean? It's just nonsense towards the end of that. (laughs) So my wife's pulling my hair. I said, why don't you just change the channel? She says, yeah, but it's so difficult to tune it in, tune it out. So we had to listen to this all the way home, basically. And I parked the car, brought my son in. We were bringing some shopping in. Went back to the car to go and park it up. And it was still going on. And she said to me, I don't know why they played that. I said, well, look, they probably played that because Moira Stewart has the world's most boringest voice. <laughs> People don't want to hear her speak. She's probably sitting there doing the bloody crossword. <laughs> oh, just stick anything on that's long. What's next? Play War of the
0: World? Who cares? You know? <laughs> I get two fags smoked in that time. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's can... normally why, they, why DJs play like a long piece of music is so I can bugger off and do something else. Bugger
1: off, yeah, because <laughs> they don't get paid by the word, do they?
3: So." <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, more Stewart did. She'd be in trouble. God, dear, oh dear, dear. Enough of them. I think it's quite funny. Has she got like a really old analog radio then, or something?
1: No, she's got a. Which she's got a Land Rover, and right. for some reason, the radio in that is really problematic. Right. It's not. It says it's digital, but it's not, and it's yeah. a real nightmare. So if she tunes classical FM out, she can pretty much only get radio two or one of the local radio stations.
0: Yeah, BBC Radio Kent or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which everything's now Heart FM, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Everything's kind of a line now, isn't
1: it? Mm. It's all Jason Donovan from some place (laughs) in London pretending to be
0: down in Kent or Essex. Yeah. You know. I hate that. I, I hate this shift. Like, there is something nice about local radio. Mm. and you still get it in the states as well like i remember we we listened to like a few of the florida stations um we were driving about the last time we were there and they're not yeah it really stands out yeah well i i, well, I, I,
1: I remember right now, I um think. my late grandmother appointment or she didn't drive you see um and uh just to make a laugh i used to ring the local radio station and say that um it's her birthday, and that she's 101 today. Um, so, could you play something like Andy Williams's music to watch girls buy? <laughs> so we'd get in the car, be driving along, radio be on, and then all of a sudden, we went, "Oh, and this goes out to Emma from, uh, you know, Canterbury, uh, who is 101 years old today from her grandson, you know." <laughs> and she used to go mad, but we used to laugh about it. <laughs>
0: That is one of the highlights, I think. I, I used to, um, I, I think I used to phone up like Capital
2: because
0: mm. we were in that border. That's a London base station. Although, again, that's one that I think is now national as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I used to always late night as well. Always when I was like working on something for like college or uni, and I was just up and uh, just random phone ins about stuff just because I was we, um
1: well, we we used to have Lark FM, where I used to live, and I only used to go out to the town. Right. And I was their movie review guy. Right. And, um, the, um I, I would see the films later than they were released, because I wasn't pressed, you know? Yeah. And I was always ever so nervous as well, because I was only about 18, 19. And then one day, the 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 executive that was in charge of the radio station while we were on air, she rang up and she said, don't invite him back. He's terrible. So I never did it anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is damn in praise. <laughs> oh man. I will say like one thing I think that's been quite good with this kind of, I don't know if it's a revolution, but with podcasts is the fact that, you know, I, I always wanted to be, um, a DJ, a radio DJ, not mm. a, not a Pete Tong DJ, um, and just never knew how to kind of break into the industry because mm. you know lots of people want to do stuff like that. So this this kind of medium, the fact that you are able to for not much money, um, you know, get yourself somewhere that you can distribute your content and people will actually listen to it. It gives you that kind of in a way, that satisfaction of of, a, of doing it. Because there's not, you know, especially with like speech radio, there's not much difference,
2: mm.
0: I suppose, in doing a podcast and um, doing radio, just a lot uh, less knobs to fiddle with <laughs> and the pressure that you're you're live and you can't edit any of this stuff out afterwards. But, yeah, I think it's given people an outlet they wouldn't necessarily have been able to have ever done. Like you knobs. Nope. Getting that, uh, mm. doing that, whether you, whether it was good or bad. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> must yeah. have been, must have like given you a right busto.
1: Yeah, to a degree, but um, I didn't really take it too seriously. No, no. But you say we've knobs to fiddle on radio. I thought you were talking about the seventies radio
0: DJs. <laughs> <laughs> bit, bit of a YouTube moment, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the, the, the best turn of phrase. But like before we recorded this. Um, I, I've already told you the other day about me seeing the Lion King, the new Lion King film and how mm. I felt about it. Mm. Um, and I've already, a lot of the things that she watches, um, but they, they both really liked it. And I obviously recorded a, a poem with, with her at Christmas for the, the 200th episode we did, off Dark, and went it. And the teacher had said, oh, if you can get me a copy, I'd like to play it for the class. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm going to have to edit that because I'm not giving them a full episode of this After Dark. Mm. Even though that one was actually pretty clean. Um, but I went into the episode and I, I cut the audio out for that, just that segment and I sent it over to the school. Mm. And uh, she had that played in the class. And wow. she had the usual, like, a few people, like, take the mic out of her a little bit. Um, but generally people are quite supportive and, and she said like, it really made her feel good and I thought, oh, that's lovely and then I thought, today I'll do the same thing and uh, I'll just insert it into one of the shows and uh, we were sit, like I'd set my the microphone up and everything like that and I was just testing it and she said, oh, Daddy, I'm a little bit nervous I said, what was that? She went, well, because a lot of people are going to hear my voice and I was just like, oh my God, she's six years old and she's already like having this thing, but she was so excited to do it. Like, kids. a few kids. There was an yeah, outlet to do something like that. So, there, there's a lot of positives in this as well, as the negative stuff. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: I mean, you thought you were a celebrity if you got a blue Peter badge, didn't you, back then?
0: Well, I mean, I never got a blue, I, I never thought I was a celebrity, I never got a blue Peter badge. <laughs> no, me I mean, wish I, I wish I had. I got one they, they there was a knockoff on B on, on ITV for a couple of summers mm. of Blue Pizza. And I can't remember what it was called. All I can remember from it is it was the first presenting job of a young Denise Van Alten. And if you applied if you applied for the show, you got a badge. It was like it was like a card in a in a plastic wallet and it would give you free entry to things. That it worked in a similar way to the Blue Peter Badge, but it was nowhere near as exclusive. How? No. How, how to? No, no, it wasn't that. It was it was like just like something they put on in the summer. You know, like when they you know, back when we were first kids, it was um whack-a-day, wasn't it? We used to get the course, stuff. Yeah. um and it was it was it was whatever would replace that, I think. So it was that kind of it was like you know, weekday magazine type format for kids over the summer break, uh, but I really have got no idea what it's called now. I'm sure I could; it'll be on our IMDb or something. But. Talking of how
1: to, mm. um, I, I uh, presented an award a couple of years ago at an award ceremony in in construction, and the um, presenter of the whole event was Fred Dinage. Yep. And because he's still on in this part of the woods, he's still the local TV anchor man.
0: I was going to say he does the news, doesn't he? Yeah, still.
1: yeah. Around here, he does. I don't know if he does up up your neck of the woods. No, 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 well. no, 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 no. No, but I've called uh, him it, like every now and again. Yeah, so he's he's reasonably famous. I think his daughter's an MP as well, which he sort of um, you know tries to keep his star you know going. But he was most famous really for how was it how or how two? I can't remember which. So,
0: we we grew up on How to, yeah. But How I think was like in the seventies and eighties.
1: Oh, okay. So he'd done it for years, hadn't he? Yeah, he
0: he he did both both uh, versions of the show. Yeah. So so when I uh, presented this award,
1: he announced that I was coming on stage. So I I basically said, um, so yeah, I was just talking to uh, Fred. Dynage backstage and he wanted to ask me some questions about um the way in which we do what we do in the industry and how we do this and how we do that and you know the way in which we come together to create a construction project so I said to Fred Dunn is basically what you're asking me is how and (laughs) You know, it was funnier than that in, in many ways. And it, it got a good laugh as well. And that's
0: the main thing. There's nothing yeah. worse than when you do that. When you, mm. I do this a lot. I was talking to, uh, I was uh, out with Whitey yesterday and we was talking about um, humour and stuff like that. And I said, I've got this awful habit of saying re- what I think are really funny things, but I make those jokes where in, when we're in the middle of a massive row. And I do it as a defence mechanism and to make myself laugh. So
1: Yeah, but, I do that as well. So it's, it's a bit Larry David-ish, isn't it? Yeah. Because you just wait for the Kirby enthusiasm music to start, don't you?
0: <coughs> oh, my God, I love that show so much.
1: I think it's my favourite TV show.
0: Oh, it's better than Schnabel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's for
0: sure. <laughs> I've been... Um, I just started re-watching a bit of Seinfeld, actually. Oh yeah. yeah, because that's obviously um, kind of where Larry David started. Mm. He um, was
1: the writer on it,
0: wasn't he? Yeah, he was for like the, the first seven or so years, or he was like the head writer or something. And I mean, George on that show is Larry David. Yeah, yeah, he he absolutely is. Um, I do like I do like Seinfeld, but I mean, Kirby and Pusem is just a- another level. I think that's probably the show that I've rewatched the most. Like, you know, I'll go. I might go back and rewatch shows from time to time, but Curb, I've gone through every episode on probably about four or five occasions. Mm. Just every few years, I'll be like, I think I'm going to go through Curb again. Just yeah, I need enough. to. Like, I've got a lot of them on DVD. It's easy for me to do so. It's not an easy show to watch, but is it on any of the streaming services? Uh, no, it's one of those because it because it's uh it's HBO. It's on. Um, it's normally on like Sky Atlantic.
1: Oh, it'd be on Sky, not it? Yeah. yeah,
0: but I don't think they have the box sets on there. I'll have a check and let you know because you can get an LTV pass and watch that. But um, yeah, I don't know. So I, 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 I think I bought like the first seven seasons or something in a box set for like about twenty five quid. Good investment good investment um, a question I'm, I'm going to ask you a question and we can cut this out in the edit mm. how did you because when I first met you mm. or when you first kind of come on a podcast it was because of your books it was because of the Halloween Horror Nights book mm-hmm. just done that year um, so that's that's how I knew of you I knew mm-hmm. you was a writer but obviously knowing you over time I know that's not your your main geek so mm. How did you get started in writing?
1: Um, Well, I think what I am, which is something that I think the internet age has created, and it's a thing that I've seen online recently, is a um, person of multiple occupancies, (laughs) which is a way of saying that I do a number of things. Rather than just be one thing, um, because it's, because I think in this country you are defined a lot by what you do, don't you? Do you know what I mean?
0: Yes. Sorry, I was having microphone issues. I was answering okay. you and you couldn't hear me. Um, yes, I think you're. I think you're right. You're kind of seen for you, for what you are, what you're known for doing. Mm your main thing, you know, whether that's your work or, or, or whatever. But yeah. yeah, you you are kind of defined by that, I think.
1: Yeah. So if you if you say at a dinner party or you're a butcher or something, they'll say, oh, you know, what what's a really good like sausage? Or if you say, oh, I'm a comedian for a living, they'll say, oh, tell us a joke. You know, so it's, it's stuff like that, isn't it? Yes. Whereas if you used to say, I'm a multi-occupational worker, <laughs> no one would really know no. what that means, would they? No. But not. I think it's a new thing now because of the internet era where you can do lots of different things um and um yeah and then have a very large tax bill every year to pay. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't love a large tax bill uh, exactly Well, when you're self-employed obviously you 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 have to pay your tax twice a year yes um, and usually for most people it's end of july which is like the worst time to be paying a massive tax bill when you've just had a massive christmas card you know a credit card for a christmas yep. and then the other time you pay is the end of july which is when my birthday is so it's always like <laughs> mm. those checks in our revenue always get you that time those two times a year um but going back to your original question um i had always done writing um i did a GCSE in english i did an a level in english and originally i went to university to do a degree in english um and i did a year of it and I found that, um, that I was probably going to be an English teacher. And I found that I really didn't want to do teaching. I did some work experience and stuff like that, realised mm. that just liked the teaching, but didn't like all the other bollocks that goes with it. Yep. Um, and although I quite like the holiday package, that's for sure. Um, so in the end, I switched to architecture, construction, surveying, et cetera. Um, and I've never really looked back, actually, because I'm glad I'm not an English teacher, because I think I'll probably be a very lousy teacher. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'd always done writing, and I've I'd written.
0: got enough of those already, so.
1: Well, exactly. That's, do you know, I was reading recently that in the last five years, only two teachers have been sacked in the UK. Jesus. And... That was in not being sacked for, you know, dodgy stuff with students, but being sacked for the performance, basically. So when you consider how many thousands and thousands of teachers there are, that's quite surprising, isn't it?
0: Massively. Um, yeah. We're having, I'm not going to go into it on here, but we're having um, a, a massive row at the moment with my son's nursery. Mm. So while it's not technically... You don't want to say it's not technically a teacher because they do have those qualifications. But mm. um yeah, especially with like the um the head of the the nursery at the moment and just finding them not all of the staff there, but a, a few in particular, like very, very incompetent um around things. And when we complained, the initial response we got back was like almost like, Oh, we're sorry it's happened kind of thing. Um mm. and you know, we'll try and do better, and I was like, "No, that's not enough." And it wasn't it, like we didn't want to. The plan wasn't to, and still isn't, for anyone to like lose their jobs. It's it's more there. There seems to be like a severe lack of uh, knowledge
2: mm.
0: um, in the situation that we're in, and so it's more trying to make sure that steps are put in place to stop that happening again. But the attitude back, uh, sorry, the, the response we got back from the the head teacher. Kind of suggested to us that, you know, whenever anyone complains about these kind of things, it's just brushed aside. So mm. I don't, I find it surprising, but at the same time, I probably don't find it surprising. At the same time, you must have to do something really, really bad to get the chop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, literally. Cause it does make you wonder, actually, that you see, I've got friends who are teachers and they're always worried uh, and stressed and vent their anger and frustrations and anxieties on social media Mm. but then when you look at the statistics that only two out of all the thousands have ever been sacked in the last 10 years do you need to be that worried
0: No, (laughs) No. it's probably that usual thing where you get in a lot of workplaces where a fear is put in a lot more than to, to kind of make you feel that if you don't do things a certain way you're going to be in trouble you might lose your job Mm. than it actually happening
1: yeah it's a lot of fear
0: um and I get it because you know I I work in a field like that and Mm. you've got bills to pay and you've got mortgage and um you you want to put food on the table and you can't afford to to not be working Mm. but you should be I I don't think making you scared or giving you anxiety issues is the way of dealing with that Mm. I don't think that helps your performance. Like to me, that doesn't help my performance. If I know I'm doing no. a good job, that helps my performance. But if I think I might lose my job, if I do not if I do the wrong thing, that doesn't help me.
1: Yeah. Well, I work with lots of different um, companies, organisations, you know, departments within the government, et cetera. And you always find that the ones that are run by somebody that's quite holistic in their approach and sort of coaches people and lets them make their own decisions and flourish and has that sort of close-knit sort of family attitude to running the organization they're always much easier to deal with than the ones that are just incredibly pressurized and you know as soon as they make even the most tiniest of mistakes they're sort of magnified and they're made a laughing stock and oh god i i really dislike working for firms where that's the ethos mm-hmm. um because i have to put up with them for a, Extended length of time, and then move on to the next one, you know, so you never know what you're gonna get basically
0: yeah it's um it's worrying when you're you're because you're not going to be there for just like a few days mm. I know I've got a friend that's in the industry, and um i can't, I can't say what in comparison to what you do, but he will be on a a project and it could be i think the the, the smallest I've heard him do is probably about a three month normally they could be anywhere between six and 18, depending on mm. the scale. Um And he's, he's got jobs before where like a few weeks in he's like, I've made a of terrible mistake mm,
2: gosh.
0: because he like, you know, he's, he's not going to, he's going to be there for a while Um or he's uncovered stuff, which has meant mm. he's had to raise concerns, which is going to drag the project longer. And, um, Oh, I hate that.
1: Yeah. I hate that because I, I, very often get lumbered with doing the finances for construction projects. Right. And because most people don't want to do it, so I end up doing it. And I don't mind doing it because I often get paid more money for doing it, so it's <laughs> worth the hassle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. very, very often I have to be the one in a whole room full of people I have to tell them that they can't afford something, it's gone over budget, they've spent their money incorrectly, They've been too frivolous with their budget, whatever, you know, I have to tell them something that they don't want to hear.
3: Yeah.
1: And I sort of sympathize a little bit. And this is the only thing I sympathize with him over a little bit with Nigel Farage because prior to the current EU election. It was just him and a few other (laughs) fruitcakes and he'd be the only one in that whole chamber that used to stand up and have a go at the EU Mm. I think it's different now. I think obviously he's got Brexit Party and Anne Whitacombe and all these other people. But I think back then it was just mostly just him and a few other dissidents. And you used to see him stand up and do that. And I used to think to myself, oh my God, sometimes I have to be the Farage in the room, <laughs> <laughs> you know, telling all these poor people that they, you know, they all of them are completely misguided over something, you know. Uh, yeah. And it's it is like,
0: horrible. Well, well, I just watched yours the other day. Um I went to like the, the system of re-release they did a Jules And it it feels very much I mean you've you've called yourself the Farage and that's on you. Um <laughs> I liken you more to the the Officer Brody. Right. Yeah, the
1: yeah
0: again, now. there's a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, when that's gonna be financial ruin for the for the town.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's like, well, we've got money invested in this, you know. This is this is what makes our summer, this is what makes our year. If we don't have the Fourth of July then you know the money goes elsewhere but if you, you read decision if you read the book
1: and i read the book on a beach in australia which is not the best place to read a book about sharks no, i can assure you not to um, it, it goes into far more detail about the economic consequences of not opening up the beach on the 4th of july
0: nice hmm. i don't know why i've never read it i don't know why i've never read it like i i uh, when uh, Craig asked through our top books the other the other week, I mean, admittedly, one of them was the 1991 Autumn Winter Argos catalogue. Um, <laughs>
1: that was a good catalogue.
0: Well, thank you very much. I thought it was a good choice as well. Um, but I mentioned that after going to see Jurassic Park, I bought the book. And when you read the book, the book is completely different to, mm. not, not not completely different to the film, but there's a lot of stuff that they cut out of the book um, that they they you know to make it more family friendly and and whatnot. But it's it's there's a lot of differences in the book. It's it's interesting to read that and then see what they they ended up with. Um, and I mm. like Jaws. I, I don't know why I've never read the book.
1: Well, cause, I think because obviously it's Spielberg, it's exactly the same with Jaws. For example, Brody's wife is having an affair. That's right. obviously cut out. There's a whole storyline about the mob, about the way they run Amity, and that the mayor is getting backhanders from them. Right. That that's all obviously been cut. The whole ending, I think. For, I think I'm right in saying the ending. Yeah, the ending is really crap. Actually, in the book, basically the ship sinks, and Brody's on the mast, no gun, and as it sinks, the shark comes to him to eat him and then as it gets closer it just stops and then rolls onto its belly and dies of exhaustion (laughs) and it's just so shit (laughs) so so I I wonder if Jurassic Park book is as shit as what the Jaws book is (laughs) I mean
0: I've not read it for a long time I remember liking it at a time and thinking oh there's bits that I wish that, that they'd included in the film but yeah, Michael Crichton's a bit of a, a strange author, isn't he? I've read a couple mm. of books, but um, yeah, normally if you see the film, you'll see a, a decent a, a, enough version of what he was trying to to put across in the first place.
1: Mm. But. but that's what I started off doing, going back to your initial question. Was oh, I yeah. used to write scripts
3: uh. and for
1: no other reason other than the fact that I just used to like doing it. Mm. And I remember when I was sort of an early teenager, my, um, one of my favourite shows on TV was Star Trek, um, Star Trek Next Generation. And I can, cannot tell you how excited I am for this Picard show that's coming out.
0: I'll ask you about that in a minute, actually.
1: Yeah. Um, great. That would be great if we can talk about that. But anyway, the, what I was going to say was, is I, I remember uh, writing a, a script, an episode of Next Generation, and it was like a, a homework assignment to write something, basically. Mm. And I go to my English teacher and she went through it with red marker pen and she corrected it. And every time I, if you've, you've watched Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know the Ferengis.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, in my, I can't remember what happened now, but in my story, there were the Ferengis who attacked the ship and she'd put a line through in red ink and put, does this mean Fergie? Ferengi? <laughs> Never heard of it. So, and then she crossed it the next one she went do you mean Sarah Ferguson oh and then she corrected it and changed it to Fergie on every single page and then I showed my mother and I said mum why would Prince Andrew's wife be in a starship in the year 3000 trying to kill Captain Pickard? I,
0: all I can all I can think is it must have been you know she must have uh, up, upgraded uh, budgied the little helicopters uh, you know, onboard flight commands so that he could actually travel through time <laughs> and space to get so that. There. That was popular at the time, actually. Funny enough, it maybe it yeah. was. <laughs> maybe that's why well, I keep watching that budget cartoon that I know she does. Maybe that's what he's getting confused with. I, um, just on a side tangent, I remember writing a story once at school. I think I was in primary school or maybe like first year of juniors and. Mm. Um, I can't even remember what the story was about, but it was about like a a hero saving the day, as all stories are when you're a kid. Um, And I used most of the character names from uh, the 80s cartoon Centurions. So my character was like Ace McLeod, Mm -hmm. but it never got picked up on. So I got away with it. (laughs) So it's funny how I got away with that, but you didn't get away with uh, Ferengi.
1: Ferengi's, yeah,
0: Sarah Ferguson, whatever (laughs) she must have been smoking. I mean, there's a teacher that should have been sacked right there. There you go. (laughs) That was your first kind of like attempt at at script writing.
1: Yeah, so I I did that. Then I started writing um, stories and I'd get so far and then fizzle out, lose steam. And I, I found one on an old laptop the other day that was really interesting. And it was about, um, I remember when I was about 12, I was in the car with my dad and it was the autumn. It was, you know, it was sort of late autumn. Most of the trees had dropped all their leaves and we were driving home late because my grandmother used to live in Brighton and we were driving home really late and he used to take all the back roads. We never go on any motorway or anything. I used to get, car sick to buggery and we were driving down this shortcut that went around the back of this little village and we had to stop because this and i'm not kidding you this black panther ran into the middle of the road jesus and you know this is like mid-90s something like that so so my dad hits the brakes and we stop and we're staring at this panther who's staring at us this big black wild cat in the middle of the road i mean terrifying and dad flashed the lights on it and um it then turned and then ran into the woodland that was next to the road and it's one of those moments where you look at each other and you go did we just see what we just saw yeah and we did well, i mean we i'd spoke to him about it recently and you know I was thinking, did I imagine this as a child? No, we definitely did see that, you know. Jesus. And this one of the books that I found recently that I wrote and it got to twelve thousand words before I fizzled out with steam was a story about uh a, a panther attacking people in the countryside in England. And it's not bad, to be honest with you. Um you
0: just, you just never got to finish it.
1: Just never finished it, yeah. So you built one obviously
0: in this forest. Sorry? It could be like the
1: jewels of the forest. It could be, you know, I mean, much is said about this. I mean, there's never been any sort of proven cases of the beast of Bodmin or whatever. But, um, yeah, that's what we saw.
0: So you've written all these kind of, or you, you've started to write all these kind of, stories Mm. and but you've am i right in thinking you've never had a story like a a, a novel like that kind of published your your work has mainly been um i don't want to say reference because that's i suppose in a way that is what it is but
1: yeah the 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 first time i've had any
0: published
1: um non sorry no fiction i Mm. was getting too muddled up actual fiction is I wrote a story for the book that came out a few months ago called Halloween Horror Stories. Mm. So I wrote a, a short story for that um, about the back lot of Universal Studios being haunted, which in Hollywood it is, apparently. If you read, my, my most favorite book I ever wrote was the uh, unofficial story and guide to Hollywood event. And there's so many more interesting historical stories about ghosts and things that happen because it's such an old um, establishment, isn't it, in Hollywood there. So they've got all these sort of legends and ghost stories and things. And I put them all in the book. And I find that's my favourite book. And it seems to get the most sales at the moment, which is interesting because I think it's the best book of mine. Um, But yeah, so other than Halloween Horror Stories, I haven't released any uh, fiction stuff. Um, but what it was, and another right-wing rogue that I saw on television, this was years ago, was there was an interview with Jeffrey Archer. Um, and obviously, he is most known for being a MP who got done for perjury, didn't he? I think
0: uh, something like that. Anyway, yeah, was it? Was it? I can't remember. If it was like a tax fiddle or something. I, I, yeah. rings a little bit of a bell
1: yeah something like that anyway but but the other thing that he's most famous for is he writes lots of novels Mm. and they were interviewing him about his novels and he said the best piece of advice i can give to any person that wants to start writing is just get it done and i've subsequently spoken to other people that write as well and they say the same in as much as you, you need to set a, an actual diary of when you write, how much you write, and you must get it done. The important thing is getting it done. This is what Jeffrey Archer was saying. Once you've got it done, then you can go back and you can change bits. You can do the grammar, the spelling. You can go back and rearrange stuff. Do whatever you want. Computers now, it's not typed up on a typewriter that's impossible to change. Even then, it's not impossible. But with Word or whatever program you use, you can go back and do whatever you want with it. So that was the advice that I followed. And I'd always loved Halloween Horror Nights. Um, but there wasn't any books about it. And it had such a long, rich history that people were forgetting. Um, and a lot of the websites that had a lot of the old stuff on them from past events for one reason or another had been shut down. Um, so I felt like it was there was a massive gap in the fandom that needed to address the history. So I I just set about as that that was my challenge to do that. And I'd been going to it for years and I'd researched it for quite a long time, but I actually wrote the book in six weeks. Wow. And it's a hundred thousand words. I mean that's a lot of words to write.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean space time. It's only been added to ever since. So I don't know how long it is now. I imagine it's probably about 125,000 words, something like that. But the current edition went to the printers this week. and I think it's about 400 pages long now.
0: Can't remember how, I can't remember how long the first book was, actually.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Interesting fact, I actually read the... I think it was the f- first when was the first guy published actually that you did Nick yeah oh sorry, it broke up then all right sorry. when was the when was the first one that you did published uh
1: so the hadron one I think it was two
0: thousand fifteen I think that was the one that I read first of all, I think it was out it might have been twenty sixteen I can't remember now, but i read it during a uh, jury service oh did you yeah <laughs> i took it with me because i didn't know um well I, I read half of it during jury service because that's how long i was there for i wasn't there for very long as it turned out but oh, i took right. it with me because i was like right i you know this is what i'm is going to get me through two weeks of jury service nice thank you yeah but i, I finished it off afterwards I just had to finish it off at home because <laughs> I was no longer in court, but, uh Yeah. And so it, I, sorry, sorry go on. no, go on. No, because I, I like, it was, it was fascinating to me because I'd got the book. You sent me a copy of the book after we first had you on as a guest. And I found it really interesting because I didn't know. I, I thought I knew a bit about Halloween Horror Nights, but I, I was obviously nowhere near any kind of expert. And there was so much of a, of a rich history that I, I had no idea existed at all. I knew no details of like my, my knowledge really of Halloween Horror Nights was what houses they had that year or what scare zone they had that year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and things like that, ticket prices, all that kind of nonsense, but not really understanding the, the creative uh, format or, you, you know, where it actually come from in the first instance, like you know, mm. they just decided to do this, and you know, was the, the first event like two nights or something? Yeah, or, uh, yeah, two or three nights. Yeah, yeah. And you know, now it's it's uh you know a, a, a season that launches in September and goes all the way through to November.
1: Well, yeah, quite. I mean, it's it's probably going to be starting in August soon. By the way, it's yeah, you know, keeps getting bigger and bigger every year.
0: Exactly. Yeah, um, it's only less
1: of the time. Well, Target in various targets in Central Florida um this this week have started putting out their Halloween stuff to buy. Yeah. Um so it's getting it's getting a massive industry. But i tell you the hardest thing about writing that was hmm. um, everybody I interviewed and I've found this since you, you there's basically there's two types of people most types of people. I wouldn't say everybody, but there's Very artistic people, and then there's very scientific people. And most of the people attached to Halloween Horror Nights are very artistic. And most of them were very much bigging up their contribution to the event, making Mm -hmm. their parts larger than perhaps it probably was. Mm -hmm. And case in point was I interviewed one person, I'm not going to say who they are, I interviewed one person about Jack the Clown and this person said oh yeah yeah i invented him i invented the look the sound i suggested james keaton blah blah blah. so i wrote all that down and then i interviewed someone else and they went oh yeah yeah i I invented jack the clown i invented the look of him the 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 costume everything (laughs) and literally about four or five different people i interviewed all thought they created jack the clown yeah and I since spoke to somebody else who was in the room, and said to me, "No, he, she, and him, they did not. It was him that did." Mm, interesting. And I like, oh my god! You
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> but you, I mean, I I I still watch uh, quite a lot of wrestling, mm. and when you when you see interviews now about you know big events that that happened, or big characters that were you know created um you will hear about three or four people say oh yeah Mm. i came up with that catchphrase um Mm. i said why don't you call yourself stone cold that's a good nickname um and then you're like well who who are you supposed to believe here Mm. and it's different it's different on this because it's it's documented in in a completely different way to how you do Mm. Um, and i think even worse because then you're visually watching at least Three or four people not tell it tell the truth or not the right truth. Well, it's interesting that I've I've watched documentaries about
1: this. In as much as most of the time they're not maliciously lying to you, it's just they've remembered it differently. Mm. There's, sometimes it is obviously people, you know, like ray Croc, that that started mcdonald's he used to put in his business card that he was the founder of mcdonald's
0: right well then why wasn't it called Crocs burgers or something you know? well actually i think we know why it wasn't called Crocksberger's. burgers <laughs> but do you know was,
1: what i mean that he yeah. would fabricate this history that he created the whole company and everything I, that's
0: um, a f- i don't know if you've have you seen that film i have About, yeah um, yeah i think it's really fascinating
2: it is. I, mean, it I, is. I
0: know it's a, a dramatisation of, you know, real events. So you've got to take it with a, a pinch of salt. And I have read no some afterwards again. Yeah. <laughs> I almost stopped stop myself then. Um, but I, you know, it, a fascinating story about how, you know, a little burger shop, because mm. it was, has like become the biggest restaurant chain in the world. Mm. Because somebody yeah. got, you know, somebody was very greedy. Um and you know, took that concept and ran with it.
1: Mm. But whether or not Ray Kroc, in his mind thought that he was the founder is yes. another question altogether.
0: Yeah, you're you're right. It's not so much that people are straight face lying, it's just that they might have been in the room when somebody suggested something and as mm. you know, the passages of time swell round you. Walt Disney, pretty much.
1: Everything's made in committee. Um You know, like, for example, um, Ian Fleming worked on a a script called Thunderball with two other gentlemen. Um, And then when he then said that he created Thunderball and, you know, everything to do with that particular James Bond script, um, they sued him over it, Um, withheld the rights. Um, I think he also withheld the rights to Casino Royale as well. And that went on for years, decades. And it was only resolved recently when they remade Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. Um, but that was another example where Ian Fleming was like, I definitely was the person that created this. But actually, when they, they went through the, the records, these two other blokes had a legitimate claim to say actually they co-created it with him. Damn. You know, So you have to be very careful. Because I do ghostwriting as well. Um, and then another thing I don't really ever talk about just because it goes on and on and on forever is I have been doing a PhD for a long time. Um, and when you do your PhD, you have to do courses on this about where you get your information from and uh, who you speak to, who you interview and where is it obtained all the ethics to do with that. And it's basically so the university doesn't get sued
3: yeah.
0: for you
1: saying something that perhaps isn't true or, you know, has been remembered incorrectly by someone.
0: I found it, I found that quite hard myself because obviously um, we are going off on a bit of a tangent now, apologies, but I've been writing on and off for like two years and I'm just about to go and do another, I'm taking some time off in the next couple of weeks to try and revise what I've already written because it's now out of date because I was talking about what was coming up in the future of um, subjects I was talking about, which is now... Changed or some of it has already happened, um but when I was writing that, I had this big problem because uh, you know I, I started writing this stuff and it was from my own memory of reading stuff or it was you mm. know stuff I heard or whatever, and I thought I've got to find a reference to this because it will you know somebody at any point could turn around and say, oh well I said that or mm. well, I was the one that broke that so. You know, I've I've got a lot of um, reference marks in my work where stuff's come from. And even if what I've written is, you know, if it's along the same lines of, but it's not... Like, none of the stuff I've written is a copy and paste job. But if it's similar to something that someone else has done, I've had to reference it to make sure that I've given that person a credit.
1: Well, do you know what? When... Oh, no, I, Whenever I've done anything, any writing, I've always done exactly that, what you're doing, and I've never not done that. But when I worked, I, I released the book just for one year only under uh, a company called Theme Park Press. We do a lot of Theme Park-related books. Um, when that was edited, and it was edited by the, the guy that owns the company, Theme Park Press, um, he removed all of that stuff from the book. Wow, He said, it's a waste of paper. Nobody cares. If you're going to say this was in the Times of London, just put, this was in a newspaper, and then reel off the quote.
3: I, th- I think that's
1: awful. Well, I know. That was his decision. He just He said that would be the best way to do it.
0: Well, I think you should, you know, if, if someone's done something, you should you should give them the recognition for it. I mean, this whole plagiarism thing you get a lot in music, don't you? Mm. And it's this accidental copying. Where, yeah, accidental, yeah. yeah. You know, you've you've come up with a beat and that beat happens to be um, you know, very similar to, to something else. And it's because yeah. you've missed, you know, in your in your head, your head's just come up with something, not realizing it's not because you just listen to a song and you've got, I'll just change a note here. Mm. That's because your, your mind is constantly thinking about, you know, how you put music together and has put something together that subconsciously you think is original, but actually could be constructed as sounding very similar to someone else's work. Um, Mm. So you get that quite a lot, actually. Well, if you, if you're interested in magic, um, psychology
1: behind it there's there's quite a lot out there which shows you actually how unoriginal we all are
0: (laughs) (laughs) now i know you're enjoying this episode of course you are it's me and ripples talking about stuff um but the record actually went on for almost three hours and i thought do i leave this as a Two hour 45 minute podcast, or do I split it into two parts? And that's what I've elected to do. So, hopefully, you'll agree with my decision. Um, so part two is following just after this one. So, make sure you do you download both parts. And uh, I'll see you over on part two of the Farage in the Room. <laughs>